running out of time. When I got ready to preach that on December the 30th to end the year, I got ready to preach this sermon on running out of time, and as I began to build the sermon around the title, God gave me two sermons. So I preached one of them on the 30th and one of them on January the 6th. Last Sunday, God allowed me to preach a sermon entitled, Somebody's Knocking, and uh, on a snow day, I think I may bring that back in, in the spring and preach it again, uh, uh, but uh, uh, in the course of the end of last week and the first of this week, God gave me a yet third message for this title, Running Out of Time. So we have not been in a series called Running Out of Time, but God keeps giving me messages with the same title. Now this week, we do have a new scripture. So I want you to open your Bibles with me. Amen. Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 2. Reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every, each one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us and guide us in your power. Lead us and guide us in your anointing. Lord, allow us, Lord, to bask in your glory. Lord, as I began to preach your word this morning, Lord, I pray that your anointing would rest on my spirit. Lord, let me let me speak in a way that is understandable, in a way that is that that is relevant to every life, to every ear that hear it hears it, both those that are here and those that are watching online. Lord, I believe in your glory and I believe in your power. Lord, I pray that you would get me out of the way and speak your word to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. As I began to think about January, January in our church for the last several years has been our missions month. And next week, we're going to have our missionary here. We haven't done the same kind of mission month series that we've been used to in the past. But but God has laid on my heart a sermon today that is about missions. Now, I'm not just talking about world missions. I believe in world missions. Everybody that knows me, if you've ever talked to me for more than five minutes, you probably understand that I have a passion for for missions. I believe in going around the world. I believe in going around the world enough that now I can honestly say I have put feet to that action. Having traveled to China twice, Scotland twice, well, Scotland, I say twice. It was twice in two months. But but I, I, I've been there. I've done the ministry. I'm planning to go back. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm planning to go somewhere. And, and, and I love missions. 
But I believe missions is more than just going to China. I believe it's more than just going to Scotland. I believe and I understand that America has become not only the place that sends out missionaries, but now we are asking for missionaries to come to us. We are becoming a lost nation. Now, if that doesn't depress you, you're not a Christian. Yeah, I said it. See, we set... I ain't even started yet. And I'm... We sit inside our four walls and we look at our flags and we sing our songs and we listen to our sermon. We think we got everything together. The truth is the people around us are dying and going to devil's hell. The truth is there are many people that sit inside these walls with us, but because they have not grabbed a hold of the power of God, they're dying and going to hell. And we're okay. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm so spiritual. I went to church on Sunday and it was icy. I got news for you. It's time that we understand missions is not just China. Missions is America. Missions is Missouri. Missions is Chillicothe. Missions is your neighborhood. It's your house. It's your family. Time is running out. I'm going to get to my sermon in just a second. Some of you will remember. Many of you won't. I could probably preach it again if I wanted to. Several years ago, I preached a sermon entitled, I don't even remember what it was, Are You Ready? And I talked and I told everybody I was going to talk about the second coming. And I mention this a lot, but but everybody got so excited because I hardly ever preach about end times. It's not my thing. I'd rather preach about winning people to Christ than what's going to happen when we're gone. Never mind. I don't care if there's a blood moon tonight because it doesn't matter to me because whenever that trumpet blows, I'm going, and that's all I'm worried about. So let me tell you something. I preached this sermon called Are You Ready? Everybody was excited to hear my sermon on the second coming. And I got here and I began to point out in that sermon that once the rapture happens, we go to heaven. And everybody in our family that doesn't know Christ stays here. Your kids, your grandkids, your nephews, your cousins, your parents, your grandparents. Your neighbors, your friends that don't know Jesus, they stay here. They endure the persecution. They endure the hardship. Can they get saved during the tribulation? When I read the Bible, I find where they can find Christ. Is it going to be harder to do? Yeah. If we can't get out and go to church because there's a little bit of snow, what makes you think we're going to get out and go to church if there's somebody with a machine gun telling us we shouldn't? Come on now. We get a little bit of rain, a little bit of cold, we can't go to church? We ain't going to make it through the tribulation. So the truth of the matter is we only have from now till the trumpet sounds. We only have from now until death to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out. You know what I figured out? I'm about to turn years old. I wish I was about to turn 49. 
I like 49 so much, I think I'll do it again. I'm about to be 50 years old this year. And I got to tell you, when you start hitting 50, you start realizing that if I live another 50 years, I'm going to be old. If I live another 50 years, my life is going to look different. I begin to understand I more than likely have less years to live in my future than I've had in my past. And I start understanding that time is running out. Time is running out. I remember being a 25-year-old preacher and somebody telling me, you need to get enrolled and involved in the Minnesota retirement plan. And I said, oh, I got time. I got time. Now I look up and I realize that I don't have any retirement and time is running out. All of a sudden I realize I don't have time. I'm telling you, we, when we're talking about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're talking about a point where time is running out. You don't have much time. We don't have time to play games. We don't have time to, 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 to just celebrate. We don't have time to be selfish. Time is running out. Paul understood this. And he is writing to the church at Colossae. And he's ending his letter. He's getting ready to do his final greetings. And he writes these words about praying for him. The first thing that I notice he says is to continue earnestly in prayer. Before he talks about praying for himself, he says, you've got to be praying. Let me tell you something. If somebody's not a prayer, then I'm not worried about whether or not they're praying for me. If you don't pray, I'm not going to ask you to pray for me, because what good would that do? You know what's wrong with the Souls Harbor Church of God? Too many of us say we pray and we don't. I'll pray for you. But we don't. I'll pray for you. And the most we may get is, I'll pray for you. God, touch them. I've made it a habit when I tell somebody I want to pray for them, I instantly begin to pray for them. Because I know, I'm going to be honest with you, if I don't pray for them that moment, Unless something jogs my memory, I'm probably not going to pray for them again. When we begin to understand that our first priority is to be earnestly in prayer, we have these tables, we have our prayer services. These tables are here for a reason. They're here to help us earnestly pray for other people. When we get to the salvation table over here and we begin to look at names and we begin to look at some pictures and we begin to say, God, help somebody send the gospel to these people. We're remembering them. With people I don't even know, I pray for their salvation at that table. When I get back to the family's table, every family in the church that I can think of is on that list. 
and I call their names out, and some of them I don't know their nieces and nephews. I don't know their children or their parents, but I know that if I call out their name, I can reach God for them. It happens because I'm earnestly in prayer. I am taking it serious. Some of us pray, but we don't pray earnestly. I pray over my meals. I don't always do it earnestly. When when my prayer over my meals is, dear Lord, bless it, heal it, and raise it from the grave, that may not be an earnest prayer. When I pray my nighttime prayers, if I say, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I should die before I wake, uh, see, hold, hold it, I, I got it wrong. Now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of peanuts at my feet, if I should die before I wake, give them to my brother Jake. That's a mash prayer right there. All of a sudden, it has a different tone to it. It has a, sometimes we come into church, and you know what our idea, you want to know what our idea of prayer is? Whatever the preacher's praying. Ain't no earnestness in that prayer. There's no seriousness in that prayer. If all your prayer times are bound up in somebody else praying, and you're going, yes, yes. Yes. Oh, I believe in a prayer of agreement. But if that's the only prayer you're praying, there's no earnestness there. But when you start to let the Spirit churn inside of your heart, and you begin to cry out to God, and you begin to call out to God. Now, see, some of us understand earnest prayer when we're in trouble. Oh, I remember a night when some things were going on in my life that were major. They were big issues. They were serious issues. It was painful. I I was in trouble. It was hard. And I remember, I remember one night in particular that I paced the floor all night long saying, oh, God, you got to save me. God, you 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 got to forgive me first. Now, God, you got to get me out of this mess. God, I don't know. I got myself into this. I, and I, I earnestly travailed all night because if I didn't, I was going to die. I was going to be in trouble. But what happened to the day that we earnestly pray for somebody else? See, when it's somebody else, we'll give them a half a sentence. But what happened to the night's? That you wake up with somebody's name on your heart. And instead of saying, oh man, I don't, I must have had too much pizza last night. You get out of your bed and you pace the floor and you say, oh Lord, touch Jackie. Lord, I don't know what she's going through, but Lord, she needs your help. All of a sudden you let that power, that earnestness come in. Paul starts this passage by saying, earnestly pray, earnestly pray. You've got to be a prayer. Now, once you become a prayer, then Paul can go on. He says, earnestly pray with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, also praying for us that God would open the door. You see, when I understand you're a prayer, then I can say, now don't forget to pray for me. I, I, I don't want you to just pray that I be blessed. Paul says, I want you to pray that there's a door open, that I can share the gospel of the mystery 
of Christ. Let me tell you something, church. If you haven't... If you haven't led somebody to the Lord, you need to pray some more. I'm going to tell you, this, I'm trying to be nice. This 21st century idea that we pay a pastor so he can do all the heavy lifting. You see, For many of you, I read the Bible for you. I pray for you. Come on now. And I witness for you. And and if it's not me, then God is, God's called somebody else. It's just not my thing. Let me tell you something. God puts you on this earth to touch some people. You can reach people I can't reach. If you're not sharing the gospel, I'm not sure you're saved. I don't see a place in the Bible where Jesus said, okay, some of you go share my word. Some of you just sit there and relax. Some of you think your ticket to heaven is a first-class ticket and you've got a wide seat. And we're here to serve you on the way to glory. I got news for you. Your ticket to heaven is stamped with the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he bought you, he bought you with a price. And he bought you for a purpose. And it wasn't just to make it to heaven. He saved you so you could tell other people about the saving power of Jesus Christ. He saved you so you could tell somebody else what God has done for you. He saved you so you could walk through doors and tell people about the mysteries of God. We should be witnessing everywhere we go. And Paul says, listen, I travel a lot. I preach a lot. I start churches. I am an apostle. I am a leader in the church. I'm going to write these letters, and it's going to become over two-thirds of the New Testament that people are going to read for all of history. But I need you praying that God opens the door for me. See, I need you praying earnestly that God opens the door for me so that when I come in contact with people, I can share the mystery of Christ. But I need to be praying earnestly for you so that when you come in contact with people, you can share the mysteries of Christ. I got news for you. We don't know the same people. I am a pastor. You know what that means? Just about everybody I know in Chillicothe already think they're a Christian. I didn't say they were Christians. I said they thought they were. Hardest people to witness to is people that think they're Christians. That's why preachers have to work so hard because we've got church. Well, never mind. But you know people who know they're not Christians. You work with people that know they're not Christian. You work with a few people that know they're not Christian, and they're proud of it. You know them. So what what do we do? We start praying that God opens the door. When I worked at a public job, some of you will find this weird. Most of you have known me a little over six years now, and you've known me as Pastor Tommy. Most people call me Pastor Tommy everywhere I go. I walk through Walmart and I hear, Pastor! And I'm like, 
hi. And many times I'm like, hi. Because I don't know who they are. But they know me. And they know I'm pastor. That means that I can't get mad at the check stand because somebody knows I'm pastor. Is it Tristan Emmons? Trista. She works at Walmart now. And she is notorious. I'll be walking across the front of that store, and it'll be the days that I'm just sort of like, and all of a sudden she'll go, Pastor! Who's the pastor? Where, where is the pastor? When I worked, I didn't introduce myself as Pastor Tommy. I was just Tommy. Matter of fact, I made it a point usually not to tell people what I did. But you know what? I told them I was a Christian. I lived the life in front of them, and I prayed God opened a door. And time after time after time after time, it wouldn't take three days and somebody would be up talking to me. Hey, let me ask you about this. You've heard the stories of the young man that I led to the Lord in the back of a trailer. As we were building a trailer. I was in the back room at a Walmart when I worked for Walmart. And there was a guy back there that was, he claimed to be atheist, but he was the most believing atheist I ever ever heard of. He believed in all kinds of stuff, but he was an atheist. I said, you know, atheist means you don't believe in anything, right? You understand that. You, you, he didn't know what he was. And it didn't take him three days. He came and said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah. And he didn't begin to bash me. He began to ask me questions. And God had opened the door for me to witness, for me to share the glories and the mysteries of God. We need to be praying earnestly for one another that God would open the door for us because God wants to open a door for you to share the glorious mysteries of God. And we've got to be, we got to access that when we can. Why? Because time is running out. We don't have much more time. I'm telling you, I've been there when God opened the door for me to witness and I said, oh, no, 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 God. They're too bad. They're too evil. And God has corrected me. And, and, and one, of the, one of the situations, God actually had somebody else witness to him, and they got saved and become a minister of the gospel. And I look back and think, I could have been part of his ministry, but I wouldn't do it. We've got to understand time is running out. We've got to be praying for each other. We've got to be praying for each other that God would open the door for us to share his mysterious words. Paul goes on. And he says, Scripture says, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Roughly translated, says, pray for me that I would speak as I ought to. We need to be praying for each other that we'd, we would talk the way we should. I can tell you how you shouldn't be talking. Well, I want to invite you to church. It's not bad. Preacher preaches a little long. Music's a little loud. You know, but, but it's okay. We, most of the people are nice. Some of them aren't real friendly, but that's, ain't nobody going to come to church like that. But that's the way we invite people to church. That's how we witness. Well, I, I wish you would give your heart to the Lord and quit doing everything that you love to do because everything that you like to do is a sin. 
you need to quit having fun and be a Christian. I got news for you. We've got to speak the way we should. Now, I'm not saying we say, okay, why don't you accept God and you can do whatever you want. No, 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 no. What I understand is once they meet God, God will take care of the cleaning up. God will take care of the fixing. God will take care of the junk. Our job is to speak with life and love and mercy and grace and let God take care of the correction. I can't correct you, but I can love you. When we go out into the streets, we need to be praying for one another that we say the right words. Have you ever said the wrong words? I missed it. When Anthony was a little boy, about five years old probably, maybe six. No, he probably six. And he had said something one day, and I told Beth, I said, he's ready. He's got enough understanding. I'm going to go up and with our nighttime prayers tonight, I'm going to lead him to the Lord. I'm going to have him say the sinner's prayer. And I was so, Pastor Tommy goes upstairs. And I get next to Aunt and I start talking. And I say, Anthony, do you love Jesus? Uh-huh. And, and, and do you, you know, you're old enough now. You need to ask Jesus to come in your heart. Okay. I said, and when Jesus comes into your heart, he, he saves you. And then if anything ever happens to you or when the, when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes back, you'll go to heaven and you'll have your own mansion and it'll be a beautiful place. It'll be awesome. And Anthony starts, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's wrong? He says, I don't want to get saved. Like, why? I want to live with you and mommy. I don't want to get saved. I was like, oops, I said the wrong words. It's amazing. Now he doesn't want to live with me and mommy. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but he, I said the wrong things. Now, that's a cute story of it, but I'm telling you, there's been some bad stories of it. There's been some times that I've made the wrong statement at the wrong time. There's been some times that I got angry when I shouldn't have got angry. There's been some times that my mouth has caused me not only to be embarrassed and not only to have to repent, but it's also closed doors of opportunity where I no longer can witness to people because of the words that have come out of my mouth. You see, I've come by to tell you we need to be praying for one another that we speak as we ought to speak. Why is it so important that every word we say be controlled and, and, and monitored by the Spirit? Because Paul goes on to say that we have to be redeeming the time. Now, we've talked about this phrase. We use this phrase from Ephesians, now from Colossians. Paul writes it in both places. This phrase basically translates to make the best of your time. When you go to do a job... When we go to do a men and women of action job, I'm not a great contractor. Quit smiling. Look back, people go, that's right. I'm not a great painter. I can paint as long as it's not near something you don't want paint on. 
I, 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 I can put some mud on drywall, but I get more on me. Furman can mud a drywall in his church clothes on the way upstairs to go to church, and nobody ever knows he did. He used drywall mud. I'm like, what in the world? I, I, I'm not great at that stuff. And when I'm trying to do the job, it takes me four times as long because I'm trying to figure out how to do it, and I look at everything I'm doing, and I'm like, I don't know. But I watch people like Furman who flies through a job. I watch people like Mary paint a wall who's like. I watch Johnny paint a stripe on a wall with no tape. Perfectly straight line. Like if I'd have done it, it'd have been like. But you know what my job has become with men and women of action? Camera guy, yes, that's part of it. When we get to a job, first thing, usually me and Brother Furman have already looked at it. Furman, Foreman Furman here. That's what we call him on the job, Foreman Furman. He, I get there and I say, what do you need? Where do we need to have people? And then I know the people that do things. He's my foreman. He takes care of, leads most of the construction stuff. If there's anything electrical or heating in there, I, I, I call Mike. Mike, I need you to over here. If it's painting, I get a hold of Mary. If we got, we always have Jackie cleaning up as we go, which makes life so much easier. So much easier. And, and, and you know what I do? My job, everybody's saying talking. My, it's not just talking. I'm organizing. I'm organizing. I'm, okay. This person's doing what they're good at. This person's doing what they're good at. This person's doing what they're good at. And if they got across, sometimes St. Joe Project, you'd hear it because we were all waiting on Mike uh, because he had tons of work to do. And I mean, everywhere. And it crossed into everything else. And so we'd be over here and they'd say, well, we got to do this. I'd say, Mike, we need you over here. And I'd get him over there getting what so they could go. And the next group over here needed Mike to do something. Uh, Mike, I need you over here. My job was to keep things flowing. I was redeeming the time. I was making sure that we're making the best of our time. I'm dividing us up into groups. When we, when we went to Louisiana, I had groups. I put, I put Laura and J-Bay and Corey with insulation. Y'all staple insulation for four days. Just, just have fun. And, and, and we left them. At one point, we left them and went to a whole nother site with everybody else. We left them there stapling insulation. What were we doing? We were redeeming the time. Now, Pastor, what does that have to do with missions? We need to start redeeming the time. We need to start understanding, listen, I will preach the gospel in this pulpit and in my life, but you need to be preaching the gospel in your life. You need to be touching the people you know. You need to be talking to the people you know. You need to be witnessing to the people you know. You see, when we begin to each do our part, all of a sudden we begin to grow. Can I tell you something? This church is not going to grow if you sit there and watch me. It's not going to happen. This church is going to grow when you start sharing your story. 
And I firmly believe when you start sharing your story, not only is this church going to grow, but Turning Point's going to grow and Life Point's going to grow and Calvary Baptist is going to grow and First Baptist is going to grow. What do you mean, Pastor? Because you're going to tell your story to some people, but they're going to have a family member that goes to First Baptist, and they're going to say, oh, I, I, oh, I want Jesus, but I'm going to go to church with my mom and dad at First Baptist. That's fantastic. Go to church. It doesn't matter where they go. But we start sharing the gospel because we're going to have a lot of people. They're going to say, oh, I want to be in your church. You see, your church has something no other, the other churches don't have. Your ch- and I don't know what that is, but for them, there's something. Can I give you some exciting news? You know who's going to stick here most? Your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your best friends. They're the one. How many of you know somebody in your family that doesn't go to church? I'm going to tell you right now, if we just had a revival in the midget clan. If we had a, we'd have to have two services. We'd have a midget service and a regular service. I had to triple the chairs in here, or a little over double the chairs in here, for a funeral. What would happen if we had a true revival? Oh, you think that's crazy. What would happen if we had a revival in your family? Think about your family. Think, think, about, think about the Jessen family. What if we had a revival in the Jessen family? Man, maybe we not only would get them saved, but then they would act like mom and dad. I'm going to tell you right now, church, you don't, many of you don't understand this. This church wouldn't operate without Rick and Mary Jessen. I'm going to tell you, it, wouldn't get, it would rarely get cleaned. There wouldn't be no van. They were up here moving chairs both to set them up and put them, and put them back. They, they, every job that we need, they take care of. We, I woke up last weekend with the snow. I had, I had an appointment. I got out and come back. I thought when I get back, I'll start shoveling my driveway. And I got back and I pulled up, and they had already snow plowed my driveway, snow blown my driveway. They take care of so many things. What would happen if we had a revival in their family? What would happen if we had a revival in the Bay family? Oh, Lord, we'd have church. Provost family. I mean, you can go around the room. If we had a revival in our own families, we'd fill this church up. We could send everybody that's not family to another church, and we would pack out. Now, that's not what we want to do. But I'm telling you, we've got to be redeeming the time. We've got to be making the best of what we got. And making the best of what we got is more than just coming to church. I don't know where we got off on this idea that all we got to do is go to church. And if we... I'm going to get in trouble. Somewhere down the road, we got this idea that if we can have more church services, we're more spiritual. No, the more, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes the more church services we have just means the more secluded we become. Because we quit being out there being the church because we're too busy trying to go to church. Really going to get excited when I tell you tonight how I want to change our schedule. Last point. He shifts the focus. Says, redeeming the time. 
Actually, let's go back to verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, making the best of what we got. Verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. He started this with, Lord, with pray for me that I talk right. And he ends it says, make sure you talk right. Let your speech be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So you know how you ought to answer everyone. When I led high school students to be high school missionaries as a youth pastor, I trained probably over 200 students to be high school missionaries. Many of them carried that into their life. I know two of them right off the top of my head who are now pastors' wives, co-pastors of churches that each run about 1,800 apiece. They're, they're, they're still living out this idea, and the first, one of the first scriptures that I told them to memorize was not for God so loved the world. It was Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. Let your speech be full of grace. Season with salt that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. You know what that means? It gets rid of the judgmental spirit that us Pentecostals like to have. You're evil. You're going to die and go to hell. You and the devil must be best friends because you live together all the time. We, we speak with such judgmental tones. Maybe we're not like that. Maybe we're just like, I'll pray for you. You need Jesus. We, we get judgmental. And sometimes us Pentecostals, we think that unless somebody's running out and hooting and hollering, they ain't really got it. I'm going to tell you, it's about time we start having some grace in our voice. It's about time we start having some love in our talk. The, our mission is to love God, live like Jesus. You find me a place that Jesus scolded sinners. You know who he scolded? Church folks. Jesus yelled at the church people and had mercy on the sinners. You find me one place that Jesus walked into a synagogue and looked at the rulers and teachers of religious law, and the Bible says he had mercy on them. He had compassion for them. No, but you show me a place where he walks into a crowd where people aren't living right, where people don't know right, where people are bound up, where people are filled up with demonic spirits. And what does the Bible say almost every time? He had compassion on them. See, we got to start walking with compassion. When we start seeing this world the way God sees this world, we don't look at them and tell them how bad they are. We look at them and we become moved in our spirit. We become moved in our heart and we begin to break. Our heart breaks for them and we reach out to them and we love on them and we tell them that we have an answer. If I knew somebody was standing on a ledge and they were going to jump off. I wouldn't go to them and say, oh man, what you need to do is you need to change the way you think. No, I go to them and say, it's worth, life is worth it.
There's people that love you. There's people that care about you. But all the time, we have people that are standing on altars. And they're saying, I can't. I can't believe. I can't trust. And we get around them and we say, well, what you got to do is you just got to change. You just got to fix it. You got to quit being demonic. You got to quit being evil. What we need to be doing is we need to be wrapping our arms around them and say, listen, Jesus loves you. There is hope. You can believe one thing at a time. Right now, all you need to believe is that Jesus is there. If you'll believe that Jesus is there and that he loves you, we can work on believing the other things as we go. If we can get to the place that we can show people through our grace and through our mercy and through our love that God loves them, we can change the rest later. My dad told a story many years ago preaching a sermon. Back in the days when what they would call hobos back then would travel around. And back in those days, they would occasionally come to houses and ask for food. And this hobo came to the back door of a house, asked the lady of the house if she had any food for breakfast, and she invited him in. Set him down at her table and made him some bacon and eggs and orange juice. Her little boy, about four or five years old, came in and was eating his cereal. And in the middle of that meal, the little boy looks up at the hobo and says, Man, God loves you. Man just ignored it and kept eating. A few minutes later, the little boy looked up again and said, Man, God loves you. The man finished his meal and was about to leave. And as he was walking out the door, he thanked the lady for the, her kind feeding him food. And the little boy, standing by his mother, looked up one more time and says, Man, God loves you. The man never responded. He left. Several months later, there came a letter to that house. And it was from this hobo. And he explained in the letter how that at one time he had had a lot. And because of alcohol and other things, he had lost everything he had and had wandered the streets. He said, but one day several months ago, you took me in and you gave me breakfast. He said, and your little boy kept telling me, man, God loves you. He said, when I left your house, everywhere I went, that's all I heard in my head. As I walked down the road, I heard over and over, man, God loves you. He said, I sat down under a tree later that day. Tears in my eyes with the words of that little boy echoing in my head, man, God loves you. He said, I prayed a prayer and I asked God to forgive me. He said, I got headed back home. My wife forgave me. My kids forgave me. He said, I went and got a job. He says, and now I'm back home with my wife and family. I have a job again. I'm no longer on the street. I'm no longer drinking. I'm, no, I'm involved in church. I'm a Christian. All because your son told me about God's love. Church, we need to let our, our speech be graceful. It may be as simple as, man, God loves you. And God wants to change everything. 
He will give you the words to say whenever you come to somebody. He will tell you when it needs to be straight, and he'll tell you when it needs to be peaceful. We just got to trust. I want someone to come to the piano if they would. Time is running out. We are running out of time. And it's time that we start making the best of our time. You can't make the best of your time if you're not living for Christ. You need him in your life. In a few minutes, I'm going to invite you to come to the front for any need that you have, and I'm going to pray for you. But before we do that, I've got to address this. Just like Paul said, before I can ask you to pray for me, I've got to make sure and remind you to pray, period. Before you can redeem your time, you have to be redeemed for time. Before you can make the best of the time you have, you have to let God make the best of you. And that happens when you accept him into your heart. Why don't everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Don't worry, I'm not going to let them hide because I'm going to ask them to come to the front in a few minutes. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor Tommy, I need my life right. I, I, I need to give God my heart. I need to give God my soul. I need to give God me. Maybe you, you, you were committed long ago, but you've walked away from it. Maybe you've been in church for a thousand years. But you're not witnessing. You're not sharing. You've been trying to ride the coattails of everybody else. It doesn't work that way. You say, I need to give myself completely. I need to, I need to make sure God is in control of me so that I can start sharing the gospel. If that's you, I want you to just lift up your hand. Right now, that's all I'm asking. Just lift up your hand. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? This is your time. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And while I'm praying, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. And I'm just going to pray with you a little bit. But I'm also going to ask if you're here and you've got a need, a physical need, a spiritual need, an emotional need, a financial need, a relational need, I'm going to ask you to come to the front. I'm going to ask you to come and let me anoint you with oil and pray for you. When I pray for you, it's going to prepare you. I believe God can heal physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally, mentally. God can heal all of those things. And when God heals those things, it gives you the opportunity, opens the door for you to minister to other people, opens the door for you to reach out to other people. So if you've got a need of any kind or if you raised your hand, for salvation, I want you to come to this altar as I pray, and I'm going to pray with each one of you. And I'm believing God's going to do some great things. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come to you right now, and I thank you for your power. I thank you for your anointing. I thank you for your peace, your victory, and your power. Lord, I pray that as people begin to come right now, Lord, with physical needs, Lord Jesus, with spiritual needs, emotional needs, mental needs, Lord Jesus, relational needs, financial needs, 
Lord, I, I want you to reach down right now and I want you to begin to heal. I want you to begin to deliver. I want you to begin to set free. Lord, move with your mighty power. In Jesus' name, amen.